0: Hello, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to another episode of the I'm Just Saying podcast. I'm your host, Jared Dawkins. I hope all of you out there in the world are taking good care of yourselves and being safe during this pandemic. And I hope all of you out there are making good, smart, careful decisions. But with that being said, ladies and gentlemen, as we all know, one of the bigger sports stories in the world that's kind of taking place over the last few days. Cleveland Browns quarterback Deshaun Watson has been suspended for six games by outside arbitrator and former judge Sue L. Robinson. And there are a lot of people out there who have a lot of different opinions about this whole situation. I'm one of those people that feels like Deshaun should have been suspended for more than six games. But I'm not going to get into that, into the reason why I believe that or reasons why I believe that. I'm just, I, and, I, and I'm just going to leave it at that. But Miss Robinson came out with a six with a 15 page report in, in really, really good detail ultimately coming to the conclusion why she suspended Deshaun Watson for the six games that she suspended him for and there are a few things in that article that kind of stood out to me that kind of left me scratching my head a little bit as to why she suspended him for six games to begin with so with that being said here are the three things that stood out to me as far as sue robinson's article if you want to go find that article it was in a new york times article if i'm not mistaken her 15 page report is in a new york times article and if you go into that article you can download her you you can download her report via pdf and you can read her report from there but here are the three things that stood out to me from sue robinson's report here we go thing number one She said that based on the evidence that the NFL presented to her, that Deshaun Watson violated three rules of the NFL personal conduct policy. Rule number one that he violated, sexual assault. Rule number two, conduct that poses a genuine danger to the safety and well-being of another person. Violation number three, conduct that undermines or puts at risk the integrity of the NFL. So we all know right then and there, boom, we all know Deshaun Watson violated those three rules. Sexual assault, conduct that poses a genuine danger to the safety and well-being of another person, and three, conduct that undermines or puts at risk the integrity of the NFL. Bam. We all know he violated those three rules according to the NFL. Boom. That's not even a debate no more. Here's where... Sue Robinson's decision to suspend Deshaun Watson kind of leaves me scratching my head a little bit. This is what she said in her report. Quote, it is undisputed, it is undisputed that Mr. Watson's conduct does not fall into the category of violent conduct that would require a minimum six-game suspension. It is likewise, it likewise is undisputed that prior causes that prior cases involving nonviolent sexual assault have resulted in discipline far less severe than the, than the proposed than, than the NFL proposes here with the most severe penalty being a three game suspension for a player who had been previously warned about his conduct. Okay. All right. Here's my issue with that statement. Here's my issue with that statement. All right. You say that undisputedly, Ms. Robinson, that the conduct did not fall into the category of him being suspended for a minimum of six games. That, that, based off of prior cases, that realistically, cases like Deshaun Watson's require him to be suspended for three games, actually. So, if that's the case, if you say that his conduct did not require him to be suspended as far as the category that it falls into... If you're saying that his conduct did not fall into the category of him being suspended for six games, then why did you suspend him for six games? And in all reality, and in, in, in a technicality, based off of the evidence that she has, she really technically could have suspended him for only three games. But yet you suspend him for six games, even though you said that his conduct... Did not that 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 his conduct did not did not fall into the category of him being suspended for six games that makes no sense miss robinson makes absolutely no sense and you're contradicting yourself you you are absolute you absolutely contradicted yourself now I could totally just be missing the complete point with this whole thing this whole thing as far as that that statement goes i I could totally be wrong. But it feels like to me that she is it feels like to me that she contradicted herself with that statement and then coming out with the ultimate decision that she made as far as suspending him. She said undisputedly that Mr. Watson's conduct does not fall into the category of violent conduct that would require a minimum six game suspension. But yet you come out and you suspend him for six games sounds like you contradicted yourself miss robinson just throwing that out there and if you really want to get technical she could have suspended him for 3 games and this situation could have and there would have been even worse outrage and worse just uproar than what it actually is than what it actually is now so here's the third thing that stands out to me she says that deshaun's pan, uh, pattern of conduct is, quote, more egregious than any before reviewed by the NFL. So, if that is the case, then how in the hell did you come to the conclusion that Deshaun only deserved a six-game suspension if his pattern of conduct is more egregious than, 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 than ever reviewed by the NFL? So... And and, and so I, I think you guys kind of understand where I'm coming from with this. Again, I could totally be off. I could just be completely be wrong and I could I could completely sound like an idiot right now. But based off of those three or excuse me, based off of those last two statements that I just read to you guys. She contradicted herself by saying that his conduct did not fall into the category of being suspended for six games, but yet you suspend him for six games anyway, when technically you really could have suspended him for three games, which could have been been even worse than what it actually is. So you contradicted yourself there, and then you say that his pattern of conduct is more egregious than any before reviewed by the NFL. But yet you ultimately suspend him for only six games when in reality, if that's the case, he should have really been suspended for a full year. So, I mean, again, like I said before, at the end of the day, Miss Robinson contradicted herself. She contradicted herself. You're saying that Watson's conduct did not fall into the category of being suspended for six games. But yet you suspend him for six games anyway. When when in all technicality you probably could have suspended him for a lot less, which is which was three games, which would have made this an even bigger issue than what it is. And then you and then, like I said before, she said that his pattern of conduct was more egregious than than any before reviewed by the NFL. I mean hello anybody with common sense can see that but yet you ultimately come to the conclusion to suspend him for only 6 games when in reality it should have been it should have been it should have been the entire season which brings me to the national football league the national football league has like a full day after this a full day after Sue came to the decision to suspend Deshaun for six games. The NFL has filed an appeal on on Deshaun's six game suspension, and the NFL has selected former New Jersey Attorney General Pete Harvey to hear the appeal by NFL Commissioner Roger Goodell. Harvey has 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 served on advisory committees for the league and consulted with the league on the personal conduct policy that was used to suspend Deshaun Watson. So now it's so now it's at a point where the NFL has filed their appeal to appeal Deshaun Watson's six-game suspension. And according to reports out there, the NFL is now looking for a full-year suspension as far as Deshaun Watson goes. And this could... Probably end up in federal court to the point where Deshaun Watson could end up playing week one, just like Ezekiel Elliott did when he got suspended for his situation. All in all, bottom line is this Deshaun got off light in this entire situation. He got off light. And here's the last thing that I'm going to say about this. Okay. And I'm just going to leave it at this as far as the Deshaun Watson situation goes. Deshaun Watson has done a horrible job at defending himself. Why do I say he's done a horrible job at defending himself? Obviously, we all know this is the way the justice system works. You're innocent until proven guilty. There were no criminal charges brought against Deshaun Watson. We all get that. But at the end of the day, he even said to himself, Deshaun even said to himself that I will not settle with any of these victims. I will not settle with any of these women. Okay, so... There were no criminal charges, but he said, but yet he said he's not going to settle with any of these women. But yet he comes out and denies, 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 denies that he's done anything wrong, which you have every right to do. That's the way the justice system works. Deshaun has every right to defend himself and deny, deny, deny all he wants to. That's what his legal team is there for. But when you constantly, as Deshaun Watson has done over the last year, When you deny, deny, deny as much as he has, but yet you come out in that same breath and you are settling with 23 out of the 24 women. You, Deshaun Watson, are admitting guilt without actually saying that you're guilty. Okay? You're admitting some form of guilt. By settling with twenty-three out of those twenty-four women without actually saying that you're guilty. And you know why you're admitting guilt? Because you're paying these women to keep their mouths shut and speaking on the things that they are accusing you of that took place behind closed doors with each one of those women individually. See, Deshaun and his people legally think that a lot of us out out here are stupid. So you can try to deny, deny, deny all you want, Deshaun. Tony Busby. You can try to deny, deny, deny all you want to, but at the end of the day, you're denying, but also you're admitting that you're guilty by settling with all 23 with all 23 out of those 24 women. So you're guilty just by settling with these women. And Deshaun Watson has done an absolutely horrible job in defending himself, and his team hasn't done any better to help him out. And it's gonna. And I'm pretty sure it's gonna get a hell of a lot worse before it gets better. Next up, I want to talk about Kyler Murray and the Arizona Cardinals. As we all know, ladies and gentlemen, Kyler Murray and the Arizona Cardinals came to an agreement on a five-year, two hundred and thirty point five million dollar contract extension, one hundred and sixty million guaranteed. But one of the major things that stood out was a four it was a four hour independent study clause that that was leaked out in the media that obviously didn't uh, that obviously was not supposed to come out, but it came out that Kyler Murray has in his contract that he has to put in four hours a week of independent study time that it was mandated. Cardinals put that in his contract. It got out and it was, it was talked about for a few days and it was made a distraction and I'm pretty sure the Cardinals were embarrassed by it. Kyler was embarrassed by it, but it got out because somebody wanted it out. So at the end of the day, why did the Arizona Cardinals ultimately remove that, that four-hour mandate study clause in this contract? Why did they remove it? They removed it because, it, like I said before, it became a distraction it became a distraction it became an issue people were talking about it it got out it was not supposed to get out but it did and it ultimately became a serious distraction and now it's at a point where people are going to look at that clause in this contract whether it's whether it was st- whether it's still in there now or whether the, or whether they took it out like they originally did people are going to look at that clause in this contract that is now out of his contract And they're going to focus on the fact that if Kyler Murray struggles in a game against the 49ers, if he goes 22 or 44 for 222 yards, a touchdown, three picks, and he fumbles twice, people are going to look at that and say, well, did Kyler study hard this week? (laughs) Did Kyler put in the work? People are going to look at, Kyler Murray and DeAndre Hopkins. If Kyler and DeAndre have a miscommunication on a route and he get and and he gets picked off, or he throws an incompletion on fourth and five, people are gonna look at that and say, "Well, did Kyler not study hard enough that week?" People are gonna look at Kyler, and say, "Well, okay, why didn't you see Leonard Floyd dropping in coverage on that on that play?" People are gonna look at that and say. Okay, Kyler, why didn't you see that? You didn't study hard enough. You see, you, 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 you know that that's a defense that the Rams were probably going to put in that week. You know, Leonard Floyd, Leonard Floyd is probably going to drop on this play. You didn't see that. You didn't study hard enough that week for that game against the Rams. The Rams took that. Excuse me. The Cardinals took that clause out of Kyler's contract because of the simple fact that it was a distraction. It got out, and it, 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 it's embarrassing to the organization. The organization put that clause in his contract for a reason. They put that clause in his contract because they know him. They know he they know he doesn't put in the effort on a consistent basis. So they put that clause in his contract for a reason. But, it, but they got rid of that clause because it was a distraction. So now people around the league, us sports fans, are going to talk about this. And the first game that he struggles in, we're going to bring up that, or, excuse, well not me, but people are going to bring up that clause that wasn't a contract and they're going to go right back to that. And it's just that simple. But coming up next, ladies and gentlemen, ladies and gentlemen, I'm going to tell you guys why the 49ers keeping Debo Samuel was major as far as Debo's latest contract extension. And I'm going to tell you guys why the Seattle Seahawks are on the clock with wide receiver D.K. Metcalf after his latest contract extension with the Seahawks. That's coming up. Stay tuned. All right, ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the show. I want to talk about newly extended San Francisco 49ers wide receiver Debo Samuel. And as we all know, ladies and gentlemen, over the last few days, Debo Samuel was signed to a three-year $72 million extension with $58 million guaranteed. And... I want to explain to you guys why Debo Samuel and the San Francisco 49ers had to come to an agreement on this on this contract extension. The 49ers needed this more so than Debo did. We all knew at some point Debo was probably going to get his money at some point. We all knew that. But as far as the importance of this offense goes, we all know how great George Kittle is. George Kittle is one of the top three tight ends in the NFL, next to Mark Andrews and Travis Kelsey. Okay, that's that's not it that's not even up for debate. But with Debo, if you take George Kittle out of the 49ers offense, yes, San Fran has their run, yes, San Fran has their committee of running backs in the backfield. But at the end of the day, if you take Debo's physicality and versatility out of the 49ers offense, I think you kind of start to see the 49ers offense struggle somewhat to a, degree, to a degree because they don't have that versatile weapon in their offense like a Debo Samuel. Prime example, in 2021, this is the, these are the top five wide receivers as far as wide receiver, tight end, pass target efficiency. Cooper Cup, Debo Samuel, Devontae Adams, Justin Jefferson, and Jamar Chase. Debo Samuel had 1,559 yards. His yards, his yards after the catch, ten point eight. I'ma say that again. His yards after catch, ten point eight yards after after the catch. As a running back. His 2000 Debo Samuel's 2021 running back efficiency ranks number one in the in the NFL behind Nick Chubb, Javante Williams from the Broncos, Jonathan Taylor of the Indianapolis Colts, and Josh Jacobs of the of the Las Vegas Raiders. Debo Samuel averaged 6.1 yards per carry, and his elusive rating was 130.5, which. Ranks both number one in the National Football League, and not only that, according to Grant Cohen, Debo Samuel accounted for 28% of the 49ers' total offense last season. Okay, they should go all in while he's still the best player in the league, which is that which is obviously what the 49ers did. Debo Samuel accounted for 28%. Of the 49ers offense, his his efficiency as a running back is number one in the is number one in the NFL. And not only that, last season he was targeted 77 times for 1,405 yards as a wide receiver. So the 49ers had to get this deal done with Debo. They had to get that done because if they let if they would have let Debo walk out of the door after after this season, the 49ers would have been in some trouble. Now, I know that there is a running back by committee with Kyle Shanahan and his offense because Kyle Shanahan's offense goes all the way back to Mike Shanahan and his and his days with the Broncos as we, and I'm sure as a lot of you out there know. Kyle Shanahan is Mike Shanahan's father. Oh, excuse me, Kyle Shanahan is Mike Shanahan's son. So at the end of the day, the Shanahan's offense is very, very, very running, running back by committee heavy. But with Debo, you take Debo's versatility out of this offense. I think that the 49ers offense isn't as creative and isn't as explosive or as physical. As it probably could be, even with the running back by committee that they have. With the with a Elijah Mitchell, with a Jeff Wilson, and with a Trey Sermon coming into this year in 2022. So the 49ers had to get that deal done with Debo. They had to. Debo wanted out. Debo wanted his money. He was tired of getting beat up. He was tired of getting hit. He wanted to be paid like a wide receiver. And he's and he's going to get he's going to get paid like a wide receiver. Three years, $72 million, $58 million guaranteed. So the 49ers had to get that done. They got it done. Debo's not going anywhere for the uh, for the near future. And all is right in Santa Clara with the San Francisco 49ers. Next up, I want to talk about the 49ers division rival, the Seattle Seahawks. And DK Metcalf. Wide receiver DK Metcalf. As, and with dK Metcalf he pretty much signed a he pretty much signed almost damn near a similar contract that debo Samuel signed dK signed a three-year 71 million dollar contract also with 58 million guaranteed the Seattle Seahawks are on the clock with dK Metcalf and here's why i say that over the last three seasons 2019 2020 2021, Over the last three seasons with D.K. Metcalf with Russell Wilson as his quarterback. Okay. This is with Seattle going downhill with Russell Wilson. D.K. Metcalf with Russell Wilson as his quarterback had 58 receptions for 900 yards, 15.5 yards a reception, seven touchdowns in 2019. 2020 he had 83 receptions for 1,303 yards and 10 touchdowns. And last year, he had 75 receptions for 967 yards and 12 touchdowns. So over the last three seasons, DK Metcalf has had a total of 29 touchdown receptions over the last three seasons with Russell Wilson as his quarterback. You get you get DK Metcalf that three-year extension. I'ma tell you this right now. DK Metcalf, and this is just my opinion. This is just me. DK Metcalf is going to struggle with either Drew Locke or Geno Smith throwing him the football. He's going to struggle because he doesn't have Russell Wilson throwing him the football. those those, those numbers that I read, those numbers that I read to you guys are with D.K. Metcalf having Russell Wilson as his quarterback. With Russell not being there anymore, Russell Wilson made D.K. Metcalf a better wide receiver. And with Russell not being there anymore, I think D.K. Metcalf is going to struggle with either Drew Locke or Geno Smith throwing him the football. Seattle's going to struggle as a football team. And I think it's going to get to a point If it does not happen this year, if it does not happen during this season, it's more than likely probably going to happen next season. I think it's going to get to a point where DK Metcalf is going to get so tired of not being able to consistently make plays in this Seattle offense because of who's throwing him the football that he is going to possibly more than likely request a trade. He's got his money. He's got his money now. So that DK don't have to worry about. Now it's all about production for him in Seattle. It's all about production. He's got his money. Now it's, now it's just going to simply come down to who's throwing him the football. When he had Russell Wilson throwing him the football, you guys you guys heard the numbers. He put up, He put up numbers. He put up numbers. But now that Russell's not there anymore, he's got his money. Now that Russell's not there anymore, how is DK Metcalf going to do without a guy like Russell Wilson throwing him the football? And here's the other thing that people need to think about, too. You got Drew Locke or Geno Smith throwing him the football this season. You guys really believe that next season, because Seattle's going to be on the running for a franchise quarterback come next season, whether it be C.J. Stroud or Bryce Young or whatever the case may be. You guys really think that D.K. Metcalf is going to sit back and wait for a guy like C.J. Stroud or Bryce Young to develop and, and get it going again so that D.K. Metcalf can continue to to play as well as he's capable of playing like he played when he had Russell Wilson? Nah, I don't think so. I, I, I just, I don't, I don't believe it. I don't believe it. That's why I say the Seattle Seahawks are on the clock right now with D.K. Metcalf. D.K. got his money. Now it's just going to simply come down to if D.K. can produce... If D.K. can produce despite who's throwing the football to him, then D.K. is going to stay. If D.K. can't produce based off of who's throwing him the football, D.K. is not going to want to stay and he's not going to want to wait on a guy. Like a Bryce Young or a C.J. Stroud, he's not going to wait on that guy to develop and grow. And then by year two, now he's going to be able to put up numbers with D.K. Metcalf. D.K. is not going to want to go through that. So that's why I say the Seattle Seahawks are on the clock. It's either going to happen this season or sometime in the offseason next year. If D.K. Metcalf does not perform based off of who's throwing him the football, It would not surprise me if D.K. Metcalf requests a trade from the Seattle Seahawks. He's got his money. Now it's just going to simply come down to who's throwing him the football and how much can D.K. Metcalf produce based off of who's throwing him the football. And that's all I got to say about that moving forward. Just my thought. I could totally be wrong, but at the end of the day, that's just my opinion. Coming up next, ladies and gentlemen, you know what time it is. It's going to be time for me to leave you with something to think about. Stay tuned. All right, ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the show. You know what time it is. It's time for me to leave you with something to think about. The year 2008. Why do I bring up the year 2008? Because that is the year that the Atlanta Falcons selected Boston College quarterback Matt Ryan with the number three overall pick in the 2008 NFL draft. And we all know what happened with the Atlanta Falcons during that year, year and a half, year period from 2006 to 2008 they were moving on from michael vick and they were kind of ridding themselves of michael vick with the with his with him and his dog fighting situation and they needed the falcons needed to try to stabilize the organization as far as the quarterback position goes so the atlanta falcons went and they drafted matt ryan in 2008 with with the third overall pick and matt ryan has had a really Really, really good career up to this point. He's won an NFL MVP, been to a Super Bowl, played in multiple conference championship games. Um, Is he a Hall of Famer? Probably not. Maybe, probably not. I don't think he is, but that's just me. But my question to you guys is this. What if the Atlanta Falcons had never selected Matt Ryan with with the third pick in the 2008 NFL draft? What if the Falcons had not selected Matt Ryan let's just say obviously they move on from Michael Vick like they did but what if they did but what if they had never drafted Matt Ryan with in the 2008 NFL draft here, here's, here, here's the list of quarterbacks that if the Falcons had not drafted Matt Ryan that they would have probably signed in free agency in 2008 before the draft came here's the list of quarterbacks. Dante Culpepper. They, Byron Leftwich, who was on that roster at the time, they probably would have would have stayed in house and let and, and, and allowed Byron Leftwich to take that starting quarterback job, who, by the way, he was a fr- he was a franchise quarterback with the Jacksonville Jaguars, so he would have had some experience there. Also, Kelly Holcomb, veteran Kelly Holcomb from the Kelly Holcomb from the Minnesota Vikings. Marquise Tuyaso Sopo. Of the New York Jets, formerly of the formerly of the then Oakland Raiders, out of that entire group that I just named to you guys of quarterbacks that was available, I think Atlanta's best bet had they, had they never drafted Matt Ryan, their best bet in that entire free agency pool was probably Dante Culpepper. Think about that, think about that if the Atlanta Falcons. Had never drafted Matt Ryan, and then also think about this too. Think about this too. If the Falcons had never drafted Matt Ryan, and they would have went with, with 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 say a Dante Culpepper for a year, or they would have kept it in house and stayed with Byron Leftwich for a year, they would have probably came back the following year, in the 2009 NFL draft, and they would have been in the running for either Matthew Stafford, which he which which by the way, I don't think Matthew Stafford would have would have would have ended up in Atlanta because Detroit would have had him because Detroit was just terrible that year. But I think had Atlanta not drafted Matt Ryan in two thousand and eight and they would have went with Dante Culpepper or Byron Leftwich for that one year and then drafted another quarterback in two thousand nine, I think me personally, I think there's a very good chance that Atlanta probably ends up drafting Mark Sanchez. And Mark Sanchez is Atlanta's franchise quarterback moving forward instead of Matt Ryan. And, who, and who's to say if Atlanta never selects Matt Ryan and they go with Mark Sanchez the following year in 2009, does Atlanta ever get to a Super Bowl with Matt Ryan? Do they even sniff a conference championship game with Mark Sanchez as their quarterback. We will never, ever know, ladies and gentlemen. That's why this is what if. What if the Falcons had never selected Matt Ryan in 2008? Where would they have gone at that point as far as the quarterback position goes? We will never, ever know. We will never, ever know. But thank you for tuning in, ladies and gentlemen, to another episode of the I'm Just Saying podcast. I'm your host, Jared Dawkins. Thank you all for listening. I really, really do appreciate it. I cannot wait for the NFL preseason, as I'm sure all of you can. If you would like to follow me on social media, you can follow me on Instagram at Q-U-I-E-T-S-O-U-L-24, 24, Q-U-I-E-T-S-O-U-L-24. 24. Or you can follow me on Facebook at Jared Dawkins, J-A-R-E-D, Dawkins, D-A-W-K-I-N-S. Again, on Instagram, you can follow me at QuietSoul, Q-U-I-E-T-S-O-U-L-24. And you can follow me on Facebook at Jared Dawkins, J-A-R-E-D, Dawkins, D-A-W-K-I-N-S. Thank you all for listening. I'm out. Peace.